Thank you. Good morning, all. Nice to see you, whether you're in here, whether you're out there. If you're out there, you're probably uh, a little warmer than we are in here, maybe. I just made the mistake of going to the back for something, and um, it is blooming freezing back there. It's progressively a little bit warmer as you come this way, and it's probably a bit warmer there because hot air rises, um, and we know about hot air around here. Um, so um, if, if you do want to move, feel free, and you want to go upstairs, feel free. Uh, I love that uh, Christmas is about, this season is about all sorts of things, isn't it? I just want to say I love that we've landed on, on, on highlighting at least one of those themes prominently in terms of hope, because I do detect, I mean, gosh, we all, we all need hope, we know that, uh, all of the time, uh, but especially so. So can we be that church group that are really praying for one another, for our world, for ourselves, our, our families and so on, that... Um, that God would boost us in hope and really fill our tanks in hope. And not, not false hope, true hope. And we're there a little bit with this morning's message. So strap yourselves in because uh, we're going to fit eternity into uh, the next 20 minutes or so, roughly. Um, I hope that's okay with you. It's fairly simple. Um, it's the notion of eternity, not remotely intellectually stretching or theologically demanding. Uh, but it's Advent Sunday, so we're reflecting that today. And it's funny, isn't it, how we are... I think quite fascinated and quite moved by predictions about the future. There used to be a program, I'm old enough to remember it, called Tomorrow's World. Do you remember that, some of you? A few nods, yeah. We were quite fascinated by what's going to be around in 100 years' time or 200 years' time. What's, going to be, what's technology going to enable us to do? Really interesting. Of course we are. We're, you know, it, there's sort of human interest in, in human predictions about the future. Don't you find it quite interesting, though, that there's rather less fascination, I think, and I find that we're perhaps a bit less moved, as Sue was earlier indicating, by the Bible's predictions about the future, by Jesus' own predictions about the future. So Advent Sunday feels like a good moment to, to land on that for a while. And it's quite bizarre, isn't it, when the, 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 the centrality of God's entire plan from beginning to end, what he's up to in his world how that ends, where that goes, we pay surprisingly little attention to. That may, be, may not be true of you, but I, I suspect um, it may be true of many. I think it's the seduction of the enemy, by the way, and it causes us or helps to cause us living, in my view, sub-normal Christian lives. So it matters. This isn't just an intellectual exercise at all. Please, God, may it not be that. May the Lord move us by his spirit in our hearts as well as we think of this. Because who wants to live a subnormal Christian life? We're not brilliant at um, the liturgical calendar around here. Um, we're not known for ad our adherence to all the saints' days and so on. But Advent actually is, is really significant. And we need to slightly redeem it, I think. Um, you know it comes from Latin, words for coming, that kind of thing. Um, on the screen there, Advent, the arrival, says the dictionary of a notable personal thing. Do you qualify, though, to celebrate Advent? Uh, according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. Is that you? Who know themselves to be poor. Is that you? And imperfect. Is that you? And who look forward to something greater to come. So you can decide for yourself whether you qualify to, to listen to the rest of the message or, or celebrate Advent. Here are the four headlines. I'm going to give them to you uh, right at the beginning. The world is going to end. No one knows when. Jesus is coming back. So what? 
going to anchor ourselves in, in Matthew chapter 24, and I would love you, if you have a device where you can access the Bible, to find it, please. I'm not going to put all the verses on the screen. I've decided this is my new method for getting us uh, to look at our own Bibles. I'm not going to put stuff on the screen quite so much as I usually do. There'll be a few bits and bobs. But Matthew chapter 24, I'd love you to find that, if, if you could. Um, and to follow it there, because I'm, I'm not going to read all the verses. It's not the easiest read in the Bible. Some of you know this chapter will know that. But let's dive in. The world is going to end, verses 1 to 3. Jesus left the temple. He's walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. He said, do, uh, do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this all happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The world is going to end. And, and that's a kind of gigantic Mount Everest, isn't it? There is a gigantic Mount Everest coming. The world will end. And even as I say these things, it, it's so much for our, our minds to take in. But Jesus says there's a load of foothills before we get to, uh, to get to that mountain. Here are some of them. Just moving quickly. This temple, for a start, is going to be trashed, he says, verse 2 which it was by the Romans 40 years later, if you know your history, and then comprehensively by the Turks some years after that. So indeed, not one stone was left upon another. There's a little foothill. God will no longer be located in a, in a Jewish temple, but in the hearts of, of everybody who receives him by his spirit. Verse 6, another foothill. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, more foothills, famines, earthquakes, great natural man-made disasters. Verse 9, people who follow me, says Jesus, will have a hard time. A few years later, many of them were being thrown to be eaten by lions in, uh, in, in the Colosseum in Rome uh, and other kinds of things. And then all the way down through church history right to our day, read the other day, some uh, Christian believers in North Korea in prisons were killed for their faith. All the way along, we're going to have a hard time, says Jesus. Churchill, by the way, at the start of World War II reminded me of this. I offer blood, he said, toil, uh, tears and sweat, but on our way to eventual victory over evil. Let's be in no doubt. These are Jesus' predictions, foothills. Verse 12, here's some more eyes down. Increase of wickedness. Not difficult to see that as an erosion of moral values and so on in the culture around us. Verse 24, looking down, a bit more, another foothill. There'll be some demonic imposters. There'll be some false saviors. There'll be false hope. There'll be false messages, powerfully deceptive ones. Why does Jesus say all of this, do you think? Do you think it's just so that we'll know some more things? I don't think so. I think Jesus is always interested in preparing us and encouraging us. And so there are some things about these foothills that we take note of in order to help prepare us so that we're not caught by surprise, so that we're not caught surprised by when, time, when times are tough, when there's persecution, when there are deceptive teachings or the idea that following the Lord is hard or by the increase of godly, uh, ungodly values around us. So we're, we're prepared for that. And secondly, to encourage. And surely amongst all the things that he wants to encourage us to do, one of them is this. One of them is precisely we need to get together to anchor ourselves in truth, to be encouraged in that, to be encouraged by what is really true, his word rather than somebody else's word, his hope rather than hope offered by somebody else. And that then it also includes uh, verse 14, proclaiming, demonstrating the kingdom of God in every nation. And the gospel of the kingdom, he says, will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations. And then, says Jesus, the end will come. There's the Everest. The end will come. And then verse 27 onwards, if you've got your eyes on it, it's going to be dramatic. And it's going to be universal. Universal. 
And then it's summed up in this statement in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. They will pass away as we know them. But my words will never pass away. And by the way, only God could say that. Either Jesus is mad or bad or he's God. Only he could say that. The world will end. But then, next verse, straight back down to earth, part 2, verse 36, no one knows when. Jesus says, you don't, disciples. I don't, says Jesus. The angels don't. Only the Father in heaven knows. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he gives a few more images just to reinforce the idea that it's going to be like, um, it's going to be like a surprise flood. It's going to be like uh, a midnight burglary. It's going to be like the sudden return of an absentee landlord. In other words, you just don't know when. It's unexpected in that sense. So that's interesting, isn't it? That it hasn't stopped people being, some people being really fascinated and trying to predict and trying to work very, very hard and examine everything and decide exactly when it's going to end. I believe the Jehovah's Witnesses first said the world is going to end in 1875 and then they revised their plan, 1971. Then I think they had another go at 1975. I think the last one was, no, yeah, that was, 19, I've missed 1914. And you know these kinds of stories. A lot of waste of time. And all of that encourages the scoffers, doesn't it? There's another great chapter on all of this, by the way. Read it later. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's entitled The Day of the Lord. But I just want to quote this. Peter says, In the last days, scoffers will come. Of course they will. Scoffing, following their own desires. And they will say, So where is this coming that he promised? Sound a bit familiar? The cynicism of the age. We can even creep into the church. So... Really, all this talk about, we don't know when, so, so why bother even thinking about it? What's the importance? Can't we just get on with the here and now? And that is, I guess, exactly to play to the enemy's agenda, isn't it? Isn't part of the enemy's agenda to prevent us thinking about these kinds of things where real hope lies? Isn't part of his agenda to get, get us so focused on what's going on now? And frankly, there is a lot to be focused on because there always is in a material, physical world. Isn't that part of the agenda? Eyes down, this is all that there is, which feeds into the, the belief, actually, this is all that there is, rather than be shaped by what might, might be to come. But it's not. Number three, Jesus is coming back. Verse 44, have a look at it. His words. You must also be ready. You must be ready because the Son of Man, that's his favorite way of describing himself, will come at an hour when you don't expect him. He is coming back, friends. We've sung it. We've declared it. We say it often. We've got to keep saying it often over our own hearts, over one another. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And because he said it, it will happen. The issue, the question is, to what extent do I believe it? To what extent do I believe it? How convinced am I of that? So now what? Part four. Dwell a little bit longer on this. Uh, Johnny English. Do you like Johnny English films? Uh, 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 you know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> we quote films in our, in our family quite a lot. And so I, couldn't, I just couldn't help it. It came to mind. You know one of the Johnny English films. And there's this line that goes, Jesus is coming back. I won't tell you the context of the line. But Jesus is coming back. What, what, what happens next? Look busy <laughs> in the Johnny English film. Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Well, I, I'm not sure. The first half of the line is good. Not sure the second of the line is right. It depends what we're busy doing, I guess. But I've got four things to look at. Four 
things that we can look to be or look to do because Jesus is coming back. And this matters so much. There'll be others, but I'm, I'm anchoring myself in, in these verses here. Firstly, then, look forward to it. Look forward to it. As I was preparing, I was reminded of my history classes at school where I wasn't very good at history, but we learnt about Bonnie Prince Charlie, 1744. They were waiting for their prince to return uh, to Scotland. And no doubt, while they were waiting, they were doing all those good Scottish things that they did. They were, they were, they were drinking their whiskey, they, they were sitting around singing their songs, they're wearing their kilts, they're tossing the cable, all of that as they waited. Singing, <laughs> singing their songs, and the line of one of the songs that was repeated again and again was, until he comes. Until he comes. They're waiting for their prince to come back as the king. And in a way, of course, we are doing the same. We are doing the same. We're waiting for our king to return. We're singing our our loyal songs. We're drinking, if you like, our, our communion wine in his name. We're doing all the kinds of loyal things that he's called us to do with our lives in the way that we speak and act and think and live in in the world and that he approves of. But as we do that, we're proclaiming these words. It's the undercurrents to our life, or is it, until he comes, until he comes, until he comes, he's coming again. Back to 2 Peter 3. He says it three times in that chapter. Look forward. So live holy and godly lives, church, as you look forward. Not just live holy and godly lives full stop. No, as you look forward. Because there's a context to our life. And the context is there's a looking forward because there's a future. As you're looking forward to the day of God. Verse 14, friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to to live Christ-like lives, essentially. What did Jesus ask us to pray? Father, your kingdom come. So yes, that's a, that's, a, that's a prayer with a now dimension about it, but it's also a prayer with a future dimension about it. Your kingdom come in all its fullness when you come back. The last but one verse in our book, what is it? It's another prayer. What does it say? Come, Lord Jesus. If you don't believe me, turn to the back, Revelation 20. Come, Lord Jesus, it's a prayer. Come back. Are you praying that prayer? I want to ask you. Is that a prayer that we're praying together? Urgently, Jesus, come back. He told us to pray it. Partly for his sake, actually. Isaiah 53, that amazing chapter prophetically about him, talks about him seeing the full reward for his sacrifice. But then largely for our sake. Why? Because... When he comes back, one of the things that will be restored, he'll restore new heaven, new earth, and so much will be different, including no more death. I know we skate over these things. No more death. What is the scourge of our life here and now? So many of the scourges of life here and now. So many of the things that wear us down. So much of the pain and the suffering. No more of that. No more death. No more COVID, without trivializing anything, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more tears, no more of that feeling of pain that we carry, no more of any of that, and a whole host of other extraordinary things face-to-face with the Father in his kingdom. So yes, Jesus is the way to heaven. We sing that song, the way to heaven, but let's not, let's not stop there. It's not about Jesus getting us to heaven. It's Jesus getting us to the Father who happens to be in heaven. Intimacy at the Father's table with him, the one who created us and loves us, with whom we will be forever in that place. Come, Lord Jesus. 
we're to look forward. We're to look, second, lively in mission now. Uh, Sue touched on this earlier. Why aren't we in heaven now, we might ask. If the Father loves us that much, why aren't we there now? Why hasn't he taken us out of this broken, painful world now? Why hasn't he done that? Answer, because there's still work to be done, clearly. There's still a partnering with the Holy Spirit in God's plan, which is what he's about, which is gathering his family. Some people say, what's God doing in the world? What he's doing in the world is gathering a family. He's gathered us if you're part of God's family, if you said yes to him. But there's still some family to gather in every tribe and every nation. And there's an urgency about it. And we're joined, uh, called to join in. Eyes back down to Matthew 24. Towards the end, the coming king is also the coming what? Judge. We're not so comfortable around this. But the judge of every person ever. Everyone will be judged there and then at the coming of Jesus. On the basis of what? Their relationship with Jesus, with that king, with his cross not on the basis of how good we are how bad we are how rich we are how poor we are what we've achieved what we didn't just on whether we knew him as our savior and whether we bowed our knee to him as our lord and friends i remind us we can't borrow somebody else's faith and we can't lend ours to anybody else only he will judge we can't do that but according to jesus verse 40 salutary words one will be left and one will be taken there will be a separation. There will be sheep and goats. There will be wheat and tares, says Jesus. It's clear what he wants. Back to that chapter in 2 Peter 3. Here, this is the Lord not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to come to repentance in his kingdom. But we, the church, we're the primary agency that God has chosen to use for the gathering of his family. We, you, me, not someone else, to gather in all those who will be saved. So there's an urgency and we need to look lively. What does that mean for you? Number three, we look differently at today. This matters massively too, doesn't it? So this is so hope-giving. So there are so many things in life, aren't there? Times in life where because of the prospect of what um, lies ahead, it affects today and how we view today. We can deal more peacefully or more patiently, or more positively with what's on our plate now because of what's going to happen. I haven't had a baby personally myself, but I understand that you mums go through nine months of difficulty, uh, and, and even more than in the final stages. But for the joy of parenthood set before you, if I can paraphrase, you endure it. If I know that um, obtaining a qualification is going to bring a particular blessing, it helps me endure the hard work involved in making the getting the qualification. If I know that I'm going to run a marathon, I know it, it makes it a little bit easier for me to deal positively with the ups and downs of, of training and so on. It's obvious to say, isn't it? Well, if ever, if ever there was a, a, a something to shape our perspective on the here and now, surely it's the there and then. Surely it's this, isn't it? Surely it's Jesus coming again and the prospects of all that that means. And yet, and yet, and yet, the world, our flesh, the devil conspire to take our eye off that, to, to sort of push that to one side as, as any kind of reality that impacts our now. Back to that thing of it's just all about the here and now. And our, our vision, our short-term vision is just confined to something a little bit ahead, but not there ahead. We become incredibly focused as Sue said earlier, of course, the, our New Testament forebears, the early church, they, they were so different about this, were they not? 
this carries a different sense. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. You know this. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Love that. Outwardly, we might be wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And then Paul says this. It always gets me. For our light and momentary troubles. This is Paul speaking. For him, he's describing light and momentary troubles. He's a man who's beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, eventually martyred. Light and momentary troubles, he says. I don't think he was being patronizing or diminishing. I really don't. It's just he was so shaped in perspective by the there and then that he could, for him, the here and now was light and momentary troubles. What are they doing? They're achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen, not the here and now. That's not our focus. Our focus is the unseen because that's eternal. We just sang it, and I love that new song that we're singing. I absolutely love it. Christ be magnified. What's death? Death is just a doorway to resurrection life. Is it? For us. If we are utterly convinced that tomorrow we'd be in the presence of the Lord, all the beauty, all the peace, all the provision, all that that means, we would face today with all of its trials, all of its pain, all of its valleys, with a bit less fear, in my view, with a bit less despair, with a bit less apathy with a bit, more, bit less resignation and with a lot more courage, a lot more peace, a lot more strength, and especially a lot more hope. So let's be praying for that conviction. Here's C.S. Lewis. Without a glorious hope blazing in your heart, you will be crushed by the pain of the world, he says. Most Christians have no solid grip at all on their future. They're fixated on the present, but we cannot truly live without that future. You must have concrete hopes or they won't give you hope. And we who have Christ have the most concrete hope of all. Love that. Last little point. That's looking forward to it, looking lively in mission, looking uh, differently at today. And then lastly, just looking to invest eternally. Where am I putting my time, my energy, my money, my resources? What am I putting my, those things into? In, in treasure in heaven rather than, than treasure on earth and so on. Matthew 24 again. Jesus says, my words will never pass away. Here's C.S. Lewis. Again, sorry, longer quote. A continual looking forward, he says, to the eternal world is not a form of escapism, as the enemy would like us to think. That's not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It's one of the things that followers of Jesus do. And it doesn't mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. And if you read your history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world, the ones who do most for this present world, are precisely the ones who think most about the future, the future world. It's since Christians, he said, have largely ceased to think about the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. I find that so interesting. Most of us, he said, find it difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven might mean meeting again with friends who have died. One reason is that our whole educational training tends to fix our minds on this world. Another is that when the real want for heaven, want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their hearts, would know that they want, and they want it acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The creator, our creator, the father, he set eternity in the hearts of men and women. He set eternity in your heart. 
There is an eternal dimension to us. Yes, it blows my mind. It's mind-stretching. I don't want it, that just to be a, an interesting theological thought. Praying that the Holy Spirit of God would convince and convict us and, and grow us in this reality. And so I'm going to pray this prayer over us as, as, as I finish. Paul again in, in Colossians. Since then, you have been raised with Jesus Christ. I pray that you would set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Jesus Christ in God. And when he who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we praise God for his truth, and I'm going to invite you to stand.